So I don't know how common this is anymore, but there was a time when people would carve a very specific acronym into tombstones. And maybe some of you know what the acronym is. It's R-I-P. Wow. Amazing. Wow. We are so awake this morning. R-I-P. Which stands for rest in peace, right? Rest in peace. People would carve that into tombstones. It's just the traditional thing that people will do. Well, guess what? Carving acronyms into tombstones, not a new thing, apparently. Back in ancient Rome, uh, they also carved an acronym into tombstones, a little bit more complicated acronym, uh, and it's this, NF, F, and S, and C, okay? That was the acronym they would carve, and what it meant, well, what it— in Latin, it stood for non fui, fui, non sum, non curo, which it translates in English to, and I love this, I was not, I was, I am not, and I don't care. <laughs> that was kind of what they put on their tombstones. So uh, the basic idea behind this was, was, look, there's no coming back from the grave. You don't come back from the grave. Even those at that time who believed in the mythological idea of Hades, the realm of the underworld, they would tell you, once you're in, you're not getting out. Death is final. Everybody knows it. Death is final. So you can imagine back in ancient Rome how crazy it must have been when this Jewish sect started popping up all over the Roman Empire with a bunch of people going around saying, not only was there a a way back from the grave, was there a thing called resurrection, but that it had already begun. These, these followers of the way, as they called it, or little Christs, Christians, were saying that this guy named Jesus, who had been executed on a Roman cross, didn't stay dead. He actually rose again, and anybody who believed in him would also rise again one day. That's wild stuff, right? And it was made even more crazy by the fact that these Christians— They would willingly go to their death in the arena, and they would be singing hymns of joy with with calm, peaceful uh, facial expressions as they were ripped apart by wild animals or burned alive, right? This is crazy. What in the world was going on? Well, that is the question that we're exploring in this sermon series. The answer to the question, what was going on, is resurrection. That's what was going on. Resurrection, from the very beginning of Christianity, has been a cornerstone of belief for for Christ followers. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. The resurrection of Jesus is the focal point of our faith. It It is the focal point of what we believe. And it's because of his resurrection that we can have hope in our own. Nothing has changed since those early days of the church. Just like those early Christ followers, you and I can live with confidence that that this broken world of ours that we live in is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. We, because of Jesus and what he did for us, we can have joy even in the face of death. That's what we believe. So last week, what we talked about was, was how the world changed, kind of cosmically changed because of the resurrection of Jesus. And today, we're going to look at the, the after effects of that and the consequence of, of Jesus' resurrection, which is our own. We're going to talk about our own. What is going to happen to us after we die? And I'm going to shoot straight with you right out of the gate. We're going to get a little mind-bending, and we're, going to get to, we're probably going to raise more questions than we answer today, but we're going to look at what happens to us in our own resurrection, 
All right. Before we dive into that, though, we definitely need to pray uh, for this one because it's crazy. All right. Father God, as we begin this conversation about our own life after death, I pray that you would just go ahead of us, that you would pave the way and, and prepare us to, to think, to expand our minds and, and, and our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us today. I pray, God, that I would disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. I ask that, that we would all have ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the risen one. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we are going to continue where we left off last week in 1 Corinthians 15, so please grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 35. The Bible's in the seats in front of you. It'll be page 960, your own Bibles. I have no idea what page it is. So, uh, yeah, turn with me there, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I, I kind of set this up in a little more detail last week, but essentially 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth answering a bunch of questions that they had about all kinds of things. But chapter 15 is where he talks about specifically the questions they had regarding resurrection. So I'm just going to read this. Verse 35, uh, this is one of the questions that they had. Paul says, But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kinds of bodies will they have? Well, what a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Um, he goes on, we'll skip a few verses. He talks about the difference between uh, the bodies of, of different kinds of animals and how different uh, things up in the sky have different bodies. Anyway, verse 42, he says, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. All right, I'll stop right there uh, because what Paul is basically saying here is he's saying a giant metaphor to answer their question. Uh, th this question of what our resurrection is going to be like, what kind of bodies will we have, Paul uses this metaphor of seeds. Seeds. So let's dwell on that for a second. I like this metaphor because now, as of the last several years, I've begun to start my own garden seeds uh, indoors with a little UV light. Uh, yeah, anyway, I, I do that now. It's a, it's a new part of my sort of yearly rhythm. And I want to show you a photo. This is a photo I took of some of the, the early seeds that I planted this year. From left to right, those seeds are onion, kale, basil, tomato, and celery. Look at that little guy. Isn't he adorable? A little baby, little baby celery. So cute. Anyway, those are the seeds that, those, some of the seeds that I, I started this year. And if you look at them, they're all pretty different from one another. And so you might think, okay, maybe I get what Paul is saying here. Uh, we all have different kinds of bodies, and so the resurrection bodies will all be a little bit different. Maybe that's what he's getting at. But no, no, that's not what he's saying, is it? What he's saying is, think about what comes out of the ground, right? Think about what comes out when you plant a seed. It is nothing like the seed that goes in. That's what he's trying to say. Uh, with those same seeds I just showed you, they come out looking like this, right? These plants are, are vastly different from each other, yes, but unless you were an experienced gardener, you'd have absolutely no idea what the plant was going to look like based on how the seed looked, right? These seeds, that celery doesn't look anything like that little tiny baby seed. This is, this is the point that Paul is trying to make. There is continuity— He's saying, look, there, the seed turns into the plant. There's continuity, but 
there's comprehensive transformation. Transformation. So let's apply that to the resurrection. Paul is saying, look, you can look at these earthly bodies that we have all you want, but verse 37, but what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow. So if this is all we're going on, these earthly bodies, we're not going to understand the bigger picture. Frankly, here's how he, how he kind of answers the question. What kind of bodies will we have? Paul's answer is basically, whatever kind of bodies God wants us to have, right? And, and he's, he's saying, look, and we probably can't even comprehend it. You can't comprehend what celery is going to look like based on the seed. Now, that may be a little unsatisfying to you because it kind of feels like a cop-out. It feels like he's saying, I don't know. But the truth is, we don't know. We don't know, and I don't think we can know. Because when we talk about resurrection, when we talk about, about being risen again into, into God's realm or the, 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 the multidimensional reality that we might be living into, I don't even think our brains can, can handle it. I don't think we can keep up with it. But that doesn't stop people from, from debating the details of this all the time. There's this multi-century old, actually goes, goes all the way back to the fourth century debate around exactly what God is going to raise. Like literally, what, which molecules is God going to raise from the dead? This goes way back there. And, and there are some people who, because of their debate about this, they would insist that the only way that you're really going to be sure of resurrection is if you are buried in the ground. Like no cremation, nothing. But there's others, and I agree with the others, who would say, no, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous to get hung up on that because think about it. Uh, when you get buried in the ground, it's not like your body just stays there forever. It, it, your molecules spread out, right? Our bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass, right? Mufasa had it right. He made it very clear. That's what happens, right? We spread out. Well, what about the bones? The bones stick around. No, they don't. They decompose too, all right? We're getting caught up in all of this. What about people who die in fires or who die at sea? We can't just assume that, it, that the only molecules that get raised from the dead are the specific ones that get put in the ground. There's more to it than that. And let's, I mean, this is probably a little bit of an aside. What about the fact that every seven years or so, our body is made up of entirely new molecules from what we were made up of seven years before, okay? Blow your mind a little bit like that. What molecules is God going to raise? Exactly the ones that happen to be a part of our body the moment we breathe our last? I don't think so. At least I don't know. <laughs> Again, I don't know. We don't know. We can't know. And come on, also, if it was only the molecules that just get buried, like d does a part of a little squirrel and a rose bush just disappear as they become part of our resurrected bodies? No. The bottom line is this. The bottom line is that, sorry, poor squirrel that just gets, like, what happened? Anyway, uh, <laughs> The bottom line, this is the kind of message where I'm going to be like, literally, my brain is going all over the place. Bottom line is, uh, whenever we are resurrected, no matter what it looks like, it is going to require an act of new creation on God's part. It's an act of, of new creation. These types of questions that we get caught up on, they're, they're, according to Paul, they're foolish questions. They're foolish questions because what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow. No matter how we die, our resurrection, God will be creating something new out of the old. There will be continuity. There will be continuity with the bodies that we had before, just like the seeds turning into plants, but the end result will be something transformed. And again, this transformation, I don't think it's even possible for us to imagine just how transformed we'll be. So here's a couple 
thoughts. I don't know any of these things, but these are just... To, just to give you an idea of just how different things might actually be. We could be raised uh, from the dead at our prime. God might say, all right, I'm going to raise your body will be the, the body you had at your prime. I don't know what my prime was, but it's definitely not now. So I don't, <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. That could be it. Or, or perhaps God raises us as some kind of uh, pan-dimensional infants who, who have a memory of our past life but still go through a whole process of growth and development. That could be the case. Uh, or maybe, uh, maybe God is going to take all of us, like from birth through death, every single part of us, maybe every molecule that's ever made up our body, and raise all of it into some new form of us that's in the totality of who we are, right? Maybe it's like a, we are being raised from a two-dimensional sphere into a three-dimensional reality, uh, but in our case, three dimensions to four. I don't know. I don't know. That's the point. We don't know. All we have to go on are the seeds of our bodies now. We don't know what form they're going to take in the new creation. All we can be confident of is that the resurrection of our bodies will be exactly what God wants it to be. We'll be exactly who God wants us to be. Verse 38, we will have the new body he wants us to have. All we know from Scripture is that these bodies, these seeds, these pained, sick, decaying, dying bodies will be transformed into something new. So let's talk a bit about that transformation. What does that transformation mean? What does it mean to be transformed? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 42, the, the last part of verse 42, Paul says, Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. And then he goes on, Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Now that just completely clears it up, doesn't it? It's just super, uh, now I get it, right? No. All right. It's easy for us when we hear what we just read to fall into sort of a, a pitfall that comes from our, our cultural perspective, maybe our cultural bias. It's, it's, it's easy to, to mistake what Paul is saying here because in American, Western, uh, you know, European Christianity, we tend to have a pretty specific idea of what the afterlife is going to be. And if I had to just sum it up, I would say that we often think of the afterlife as us uh, going to heaven after we die in some sort of disembodied state, right? We're floating around like, like angels. We're, we're up in the clouds. There's harps. That, that's kind of how we think about it. And even if it's not harps, it's, we still think of ourselves as immaterial and, and spiritual, right? In the way that we would use that. But I can't emphasize this enough. That image of the afterlife is not what the Bible describes. It just isn't. We are not zipping off to heaven after, after this life. God is bringing heaven to earth. 
That's what scripture says. God is bringing heaven to earth. God is going to make, remake a new creation right here. Here, where heaven and earth can become one. God's realm and our realm will be together. And into that new creation, he will resurrect us into new bodies, transformed bodies, where we can live in that new creation with him forever. That's what scripture promises. But wait, doesn't Paul say here that we're going to become spiritual bodies? Doesn't that mean that we'll be disembodied? Well, he does use that word, but I think it gets a little lost in translation. Uh, there are two Greek words that he uses to compare this life, these bodies, and the next life, our resurrection bodies. They're this, the psuchikos, which means physical, and pneumatikos, which means spiritual. Psuchikos, pneumatikos. In English, when we talk about physical and spiritual, we think in terms of uh, the substance of something, right? If something is physical, it means it's tangible. You can touch it. It's, it's there. It's real. If something is spiritual, it means what? It's immaterial. It's, it's, you can't touch it. It's, maybe it's an idea. It's out there. That's what we think of in English. But in Greek, these two words, psuchikos and pneumatikos, they don't describe what something is made of at all. What they describe is how something is animated. What gives it, what gives it life. It's like talking about different kinds, of, uh, different kinds of boats, right? Boats in the ocean. There are uh, wind-powered sailboats. There are gas-powered speedboats. There are nuclear-powered submarines, right? They're all boats. They all go in the ocean. They all, they all float. But each one of the, well, I guess submarines also go on. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're all boats, but what powers them is what makes them different. And that's what these words mean in Greek. It's like Paul is saying, right now, our bodies are sailboats, we're wind-powered, but in the resurrection, we'll be nuclear-powered or something like that. These bodies that we have now are animated by the physical world. We, we have life through the sun and food and water, but our resurrected bodies, on the other hand, will be animated by the Spirit powered, sustained by the Spirit of God. Now look at verse 48. Paul has been comparing Adam, who he calls the first man, who represents all of us in our physical bodies, with Christ, the last man, the resurrected Jesus. Now again, we, we tend to miss this because of our preconceived notions. When he says earthly people are like the earthly man, literally the people of dust are like the the man of dust, uh, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. We, we miss this because we think, again, heavenly means spiritual disembodied. But, but again, think in terms of what animates us. What are earthly people like? What are we like as earthly people? Well, we die. We decay. We suffer. That's the limitation of being empowered and animated by the physical world, sukikos. But the heavenly man, Jesus, by contrast, is animated by the Spirit. He is Spirit-powered. He doesn't die. Pneumaticos. And verse 49, someday we will be like that. We'll be like him. Our resurrected bodies will be Spirit-powered. So what will that be like? Again, what will that transformation entail? Well, we don't know. Again, we don't know. But we do have a couple of data points to go off, uh, go off of. And those data points are what we, these tantalizing glimpses we get of the resurrected body of Jesus himself. 
So let's think about that for a second. What, what, how would we describe the resurrected body of Jesus? Because that's the kind of body we're going to have. Well, it was a real body. It was a physical body. You could touch it. Uh, he ate food, so he's a real body. But also, he could appear in the middle of a locked room out of nowhere. Uh, he could travel vast distances quickly. He uh, wasn't always recognized by his own followers right away. That one just is a real chin scratcher. How is that? I don't understand that one. Like, like seeds and plants. There was continuity. There was continuity with the body he had before, right? He had holes in his, in his hands still, but there was also transformation. There was transformation. Uh, his resurrected body was something new. It was empowered in a new way, animated by the Spirit. If I had to guess, and again, now I'm just speaking as Barry the nerd, not like what Bible has to say. If I had to guess, I think it's because the resurrected body of Jesus and our resurrected bodies are in some way existing outside of the limitations of these dimensions, okay? If, if you had a three-dimensional object that inter interacted with a two-dimensional plane, uh, it would do things that the two-dimensional creatures living on that, that flatland would have no clue what was going on. If Jesus is living in some way outside of our normal dimensions, it would make sense that he's able to pop into a room, that he'd be able to, to, to move through time and space in, in novel ways. Again, we don't know, but those are the kinds of things that I imagine. And again, what we know for certain is that that is our future. The resurrected body of Jesus was not the same as the seed that went into the ground. It was transformed, and neither will our bodies be. Our bodies, these seeds that get planted in the ground when we die, will not be the same as after. Now again, I know this raises more questions than it answers. This does not clear it up. This is clear as mud. But the bottom line is this. And, and just honestly, if you, if you are lost and you can't remember a single thing I say, remember what I'm about to say. This is what matters. God is making a new creation. That's what he began with the resurrection of Jesus, and that is what he is going to do in its completeness someday. He's making a new creation, and out of his great love for us, he will resurrect and remake our bodies into the kind of bodies that can live there that can exist in this new creation. The kinds of bodies that are animated by the Spirit, who are no longer subject to decay and free from even the possibility of death. Like the resurrected Christ, we will be transformed. Can we even begin to comprehend what that looks like? No. But we can be confident that that is where our story ends. Jesus made that possible for us. He made the way. And now, just like those early Christ followers who faced persecution and death with joy, we can join our voices to theirs and sing, verse, verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death doesn't have a sting anymore. It's lost its power. Those ancient Roman tombs said that this life was the end. I was not, I was, I am not, and I don't care. Well, again, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but in Christ, we can boldly say, I was not, I was, and I will be. And that would have been a great place to end my sermon <laughs> because like, wow, what a great line to end on. I'm not done. I'm not done. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> 
I'll tell you why. Uh, this topic is one that I've been thinking about for, a, well, a long time, but specifically I've been really thinking about how do I convey some of these ideas to the people of grace, thinking about this for many, many months. And in the process, especially as I've thought about last week and this week, the two sermons together, um, there have been a couple uh, loose ends, things that I haven't really found a place to talk about, but I think are really, really important for us to just dwell on briefly. So what I'm about to share with you, let's consider these the appendices to the last two weekends, all right? This is last week and this week. This is the appendix uh, of this, uh, and the, the week before with Tim talking about the resurrection of Jesus as a historical event. Let's talk about this as the appendices as we prepare to go into Easter. All right, so here we go. Three ideas that I just want you to think about. Number one, we genuinely have no reason to be afraid of death. Genuinely, we have no reason to be afraid of death. And that's kind of a big deal in this culture that we are in right now. We, we live in, in suburban America in a, in a culture that glorifies youth, that obsesses over saffety and security and health, and, and a, a culture, frankly, we put makeup on our dead bodies so we don't have to deal with the fact that, that death is inevitable in this life, right? We do that because we are death-averse as a culture. That's just who we are. But I will say this again. The resurrection of Jesus is the focal point of our faith. Because he rose, death cannot hold us. It isn't the end for us. I'm going to show you again that ancient fresco that I showed you last week, this, this Byzantine fresco of the resurrection. I want you just to look at this again. Remember this? The gates of Hades are smashed beneath Jesus' feet. Jesus is ripping Adam and Eve right out of the grave. There is no going back for them. And that is you and me that he has in his hands. That is the essence of our faith. And we can live like that's true. Even here, no longer afraid of death, no longer uh, despairing about our inevitable end because death holds no more power. We can live brave lives, not safe ones, as we pursue God's purposes in this world, as we focus on living out that coming new creation even now. And guess what? I'm going to speak to the skeptics among us right now. Guess what? If it's not true, right? If there is no such thing as resurrection from the dead and our faith is pointless and it's all just made up, guess what? At least we are going to die ignorant and joyful right? Thinking that it's not the end. How much better is that than living in fear of the inevitable? That's what I'm saying. So I think it's important for us to pay attention to this. We don't have to be afraid of death. Let's be the kind of people that show our world what it looks like to have hope. That's who we can be. Okay, appendix number two. I truly believe this. Life after death is going to be spectacular is going to be spectacular. And I'm not just talking like, like eternal, you know, bliss in, in a disembodied state. That's what I grew up with. I grew up with this mental image of when we went to heaven, it was going to be, you know, we'd just be disembodied spirits floating around with harps and, and we would just sing worship songs forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And honestly, that kind of sounded a little boring to me, right? Growing up, it was a little boring and, and a kind of as I got a little older, kind of existentially dreadful to think of just like, like, anyway, that was kind of how I felt. But now as I've grown and I've got a much deeper understanding of what it is that scripture is, is telling us is coming, 
now I've got my, I'm really excited about, about life after death. Because again, I'll say this again, we are not going to end up as disembodied spirits floating around. That's not our destiny. We are going to be resurrected into a new creation. And here's what excites me. In the new creation, we are going to be able to fulfill the role that we were always meant to have. The role that Adam and Eve were meant to have at the very beginning of the Bible. And that role is as co-creators with God. Co-creators with God, stewarding his creation with life and joy and creativity as his children. In verse 43 of this passage, Paul says this, our bodies are buried in brokenness. We all know what the brokenness of this world is like, but they will be raised in glory. Glory is God's attribute. For us to be raised in glory means that we will be like like prisms reflecting the the brilliance and the glory of God into our world in a multifaceted way. We go on and on about this at Grace. Ephesians 2.10, every one of us was created with a unique purpose in mind. We are the masterpieces of God and he has designed things for us to do. I don't believe that ends with this life. He's got purpose for us in the life to come. Now, I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I think in the new creation, we're going to be growing things and we're going to be building stuff and making music and art. I think we're going to be digging into the depths of science and mathematics and exploring uncharted territories, maybe uncharted dimensions of the multiverse. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. We were created to be creative. And when we rise again, we will be exactly who God made us to be. Life after death, the new creation will be spectacular. I truly believe it. Finally, and to kind of bring our attention back to now, what we do in this life matters. What we do in this life matters. Matters. As I said before, there is continuity between this life and the next, between these bodies and, and the bodies that we were, are going to have. Like a seed that's planted in the ground turns into a plant. There is continuity, okay? But remember, resurrection and new creation is not about blowing everything up and starting over. It's about God transforming this world and us, which is why I believe that that. that our small acts of faithfulness and obedience to God in this life will be reflected in some way in the life to come. That's part of what it means to to join God in his purposes of establishing his kingdom on the earth. Right now, it's like we're, uh, we're stonemasons participating in a, a multi-generational uh, cathedral project. We're working on one little tiny, carving one little tiny piece of stone. We have no idea with the, the things we are working on now how God is going to use them as a part of his grand design as the master architect. We don't know. All we know is what we have right in front of us, to be faithful with, with the things that we have uh, right in front of us. The point of this life, the point of the life that we are all living is not to earn a get out of, get into heaven free card, get out of hell free, get into heaven free card, and then just wait around. That's not what we're here for. The point of this life is to join God in his work of new creation right now. That's the point. And none of it is wasted. 
As Paul says at the end of this chapter, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Whether it is a single act of self-giving love or a, a lifetime of dedication and service to God, what we do in this life matters. And I think that when we are standing in the resurrection with Christ, in our new bodies, looking at what God has built and, and done with our meager offerings, I think we will be in awe and we will be humbled that he wanted us to be a part of it. Let's pray. Well, Father, I mean, again, this is really, it's important, but it is hard for us to wrap our minds around all of this. Getting into all of these, these speculative concepts, I mean, the fact is you didn't, you clearly didn't want us to know the specifics. Maybe we can't know the specifics. And yet, Father, you do want us to hope. And so, God, as, as we consider what it means to live in this broken world, awaiting the, the new creation to come, I, I pray, Father, that each one of us, through your Spirit's power, would get a glimpse of who you have called us to be so that we can participate with you in the building of this new creation now and that we can celebrate with you as we rise again in the new creation to come. God, would you give us hope? Would you give us courage, especially in the face of death, and Father, would you shape us to be the kinds of people who are resurrection people, who live even now in the, the brilliant confidence that this world is not the end. Thank you, Father, for saving us. And thank you for what you will do in raising us from the dead. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the one who led the way. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.